an accomplishment to be in a place and pasture in that area for 31 years. And uh, so wonderful to be able to see the fruit of uh, Brother and Sister Harrington's labor here. Hallelujah. And I, I feel totally privileged on my position to, to be able to be here tonight. I am I'm going to preach something tonight that uh, I hope you're ready for. I don't know if this is an anniversary message tonight, but uh, I believe this is a revival message tonight. <clears throat> And uh, I'm interested in revival. I sure do pick up a fire burning in your pastor's heart tonight. And uh, I'm going to tell on myself tonight, if that's all right. I, uh, I was feeling after the Lord about uh, this service. And uh, a couple of nights ago, up in my office uh, till after midnight and I uh, went over some things that I thought might be a possibility of what the Lord would want for this service and I, I got just a I knew I was going to go to my mother's house and be there for a day and uh, anyway I just got a big stack of things that I thought might somewhere in in and that might be uh, what the Lord would want. But there was one message that I had really felt, you know, kind of a tug toward that direction. And I had pushed it to the side because, uh, just to tell the truth, uh, I just, uh, uh, I would just, you know, there's some message that takes a lot out of you when you when you preach on it, and uh, and sometimes if if it's not done right, it can really go south for you if God's not in it. And uh, so I just kind of casually push that thing to the side, along with some other things. And so I got into bed uh, about one o'clock, and I was getting up at uh, a little after five to get ready to catch a plane. And so I had two stacks. And so when I got, got up, uh, and uh, I was in service Wednesday night in Mississippi. Anyway, uh, so I flew out Wednesday morning. And uh, everything was fine until I opened my my briefcase and uh, I discovered I had grabbed the wrong stack. Now, I've been preaching uh, right at 40 years so I can preach without notes. <clears throat> it's not just that. But this is the one right here. <laughs> 
that I was trying to get away from when I went through the stack. It just jumped out at me. And so uh, he talked about old-time Pentecost, and my mother and I talked about old-time Pentecost and revivals and and uh, Brother H.B. Morgan baptized her in Zavala, Texas many, many, many years ago. Big revival where a lot of our family came in. Uh, Brother Joe Duke came. He had not, I don't think, officially started preaching, but he was praying. And uh, Brother Henderson was preaching a revival, and when he'd get through preaching every night, he'd turn it over to Brother Duke. Brother Duke would pray for people. <clears throat> and my mother said everybody he laid his hands on and touched them, they fell out. And said so they had the ones of that church open in Zavala, and there was a crowd outside as well as a crowd inside. People just getting as close as they could see. <clears throat> we had an uncle there that uh, he had had an eye injury and was given a lot of trouble and infection, had lost his eye, and uh, anyway, he said, well, i tell you what, I'm going to go down there, but I ain't going to fall out. He told him all that. So he's pushing them down. And when he went up there, Brother Joe, Joe Duke just reached out and touched him. And he was like a big tree. He just fell back and hit the floor and was talking in tongues, got the Holy Ghost in just a little bit. <clears throat> Hallelujah. <clears throat> and uh, we are living in fearful times, aren't we? It makes my heart tremble. The Bible says men's hearts shall fail them for fear of what's coming on the land. Yes. And uh, just a few days ago, Brother Paul Price called me and he said, I got a message for you. He said, uh, I'm getting old and I'm not able to travel, but said, I'm telling preachers all over when God speaks to me. I, and he said, I, one thing he told me, he said, I want to tell you this. He said, uh, the church needs to get ready to suffer for the name of Jesus. Our generation don't know anything about persecution. We have pretty well had the blessings of the government and the law on our side. But he said, Pentecostal people better get ready to suffer and they better get a revelation that it's not all just fair weather and some terrible things are coming and they better get ready to suffer for the name of Jesus and people among our own groups. And our own families are going to be people that's going to turn against us. And they're going to hate us. I'm going to tell you, there is a hatred against old-time Pentecost. There's people that just really despise it. I just heard a statement a while back about somebody making fun of somebody beating a drum while they're worshiping God and saying... You're not going to have business people in your church. You act like that. Educated people. And uh, anyway. And then he said this. He said, we have got a small window of time to have revival. We're going to have just a small window of time. And we need to know what time it is. 
And he talked about how that Jerusalem, if, if Jerusalem would have known, Jesus said as he wept over it, if Jerusalem would have known the hour. But they didn't know what time it was. I wonder what's it going to take for us to wake up and realize what time it is. I'm going to tell you the preacher that's going to try to preach to you tonight. God needs to wake me up some more about it. We need to be focused. We need to all get on the same page. We certainly need old-fashioned revival. And we need to be people of prayer. Travailing prayer. Prevailing prayer. Hell-shaking prayer. And so, Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Does anybody know of anybody in your community? That you know judgment's coming. And they need somebody to weep and cry and pray for them. I wonder if anybody's got any lost kids tonight. Anybody got any lost children tonight that are running the highways? Backsliders. Oh God, enable me to... Weep like I need to weep. Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night. That's what it's going to take for the daughters of my people. Psalms 126 and verse 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless Here's the answer to revival. Doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Luke chapter 19 and verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Saying, if thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now are they hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. 
They shall not leave in thee one stone left upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. And then one last verse, John chapter 11, verse 35. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughters of my people. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And when he beheld the city, he wept over it. Jesus wept. Thank you, Lord. For your precious word, we pray that you would speak to us. Help us tonight, God. Please touch my heart tonight, God. Please help me tonight, Jesus. Touch this congregation tonight, God. We're asking your help, God, in in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I want to preach about uh, the ministry of tears the ministry of tears. You can be seated. Weeping and other expressions of emotion is more common in the far eastern world than than in our western world. Uh, In the far east at the time of death there are weepers, mourners that are hired that gather with the family to help them in expressing the grief of the soul in behalf of the departing of a loved one. They feel within themselves that they do not have the ability to shed enough tears and to express enough sorrow. And so there are weepers that are hired to come and help show great bereavement and and shed many tears. During this time, there are bottles that are passed around and in these bottles are caught the salty tears that are shed. Understand it correctly, these tears are mixed sometimes with a perfume They're bottled up, and in years to come, they become more and more precious and valuable to the owner. This may have been what the woman did when she literally washed the feet of Jesus with her tears and dried them with her hair, was in taking these precious bottles mixed with her own tears and literally washing the feet of Jesus Christ and anointing his feet with that costly ointment. The expression of these emotions that we find in the Eastern culture is not as prevalent in our our world, and especially in the United States of America. Uh, In fact, uh, it seems like our culture is quite guarded when it comes to the expression of of, of a lot of emotions, especially brokenness. There seems to be a mindset that uh, a person that becomes broken or openly weeps in public, uh, uh, is exhibiting some type of weakness in their character. Uh, They're considered to be uh, not in control. The funeral service is so designed not to create a lot of emotion. The program and the pattern of the funeral uh, is designed uh, not uh, to uh, create a lot of excitement. And many times people take tranquilizers and medicines to... Uh, kind of uh, bring a control on their feelings. They do not want to be broken up and uh, openly weep and and uh, they're embarrassed. And so sometimes it is after the funeral service is over with and all the friends that have come to support 
the bereaving family have left, that people are left by themselves at home to work through their grief and their sorrow all by themselves. Silent nights when people think that it's past now and it's over with, uh, they lay in their beds and uh, cover their pillows with tears as they try to walk, work out their feelings and, and their, their emotions. In America, we've heard the saying, uh, men do not cry. Real men uh, do not weep. And uh, we, we, we see folks, that men that are, are not able to even express many emotions of tenderness and love. They, they feel like it's effeminate and they feel like that it is a disgrace to their manhood. Sometimes children that have grown up and a parent dies, a daddy dies, they stand at the graveside of their father and uh, they think, I, I, I live my life and uh, uh, this man died as my father and he, he never told me that he loved me. <clears throat> my, my own wife just recently, uh, her grandmother had died and, and now her, her father just recently died and but uh, uh, at, at her grandmother's funeral, her, her dad uh, was a college professor and he was an atheist and he was very upfront about it. And uh, one, I guess the first time in her life to see him weep, uh, she got up and sang a song, His Eye is on the Sparrow. And uh, not, uh, not understanding how close he was to eternity, I believe the power of God hit him in that funeral service and, and she was amazed to see tears roll down his cheeks. There's a lot of folks that are sick. There's a lot of folks that have diseases in their body. Doctors and psychologists say many times it is because of uh, pent-up emotions and feelings and poisons that, that are released when there is an outburst of emotion and tears. Uh, they have uh, looked at the chemistry of tears and found out that when someone is emotionally moved and, and begins to weep, there is a great release of poisons and, and uh, it, it releases bitterness of the soul. It, it, it does something to the human uh, individual, their, uh, their, their spiritual being and, and their physical being when, when we allow ourselves to be broken. But we live in a, a land that uh, people like to live behind facades and, and uh, just face fronts. And you ask them how they're doing and automatically, oh, I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm doing wonderful. In other words, I'm independent. And I, I don't need uh, anybody's emotional uh, support and I'm fine. And uh, so uh, sometimes people pay a psychiatrist a lot of money an hour just to lay on a couch and cry and tell everything that is pent up on the inside of their heart and life. And uh, so we, we live, and, 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 and we live behind hardness. And it even gets in the church. You know, I've, I've pastored some folks, and, and I'm trying to pastor some folks now that they want to always act like they, they've got it in control. I'm afraid of people that I never see weep. I worry about people that I never see them reach a point of brokenness. Because, you see, I find that Jesus always used broken things. He always had a way of bringing his miracles out of broken, shattered pieces. And, and it was after things were broken that God was able to take his 
infinite and miraculous hands and, and make something beautiful. And so people live their lives and, and they live in hardness. And, and they've got the attitude, you know, that uh, real people that are strong, they, they, they're not broken. And, uh, and men do not cry. But uh, I want to tell you that weeping waters the soul. Weeping waters the soul. Hallelujah. The fallow ground, the soil of the heart, that time and circumstances and, and happenings in life that tend to embitter us and make us untouchable and, and make us live in a little, little uh, enclosed area by ourselves on a little island where we don't allow anybody to get into where we're really at and, and, and where we're really living. Hallelujah. Oh, it's, 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 it's when brokenness comes to a person's life and, and tears begin to flow that the soil of the heart and the soul can become tender. Weeping waters the soul. Oh, that my head were watered and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughters of my people. Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughters of my people. There's a secret that has been long lost among uh, churchanity and among Pentecostal churches. And that is that uh, there's so many folks that feel like that the work can be done without the ministry of tears. That God's work can go on without our heart really being involved in what is, is happening. That we can get the work done from the head and not from the heart and Hallelujah. We can come to church week after week and month after month and never really become emotionally involved and never get down to where our heart is and where our being is. Uh, several years ago, I went to a church growth seminar by a denominal man that was supposed to have a lot of guy, good ideas about building a church. And, of course, I did not pay my way, and I had not planned on going, but a preacher friend called me, and he said, I've got tickets, and I want you to come with me. And I didn't seem to have anything better to do, so I went. And I will say this, there were some good ideas that I heard while I was there. Uh, but the one thing that I did hear that caused my soul to shake is that man got up, and he said uh, he was going to teach everybody how to grow a church was his terminology, and he said, uh, I will tell you this, I can grow a church with God or without God. Hallelujah. I kind of got off the bandwagon when I heard that because I want to tell you what I'm trying to grow where I'm from. Hallelujah. There's got to be a God involved in what's happening. It's got to be real, and it's got to be genuine, and yeah, there can't be any hypocrisy in it. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I want to tell you, you can have a crowd, but you can't have a church without God. You can have a big assembly of people, but you can't have a church without the God of heaven involved in what we are doing. Hallelujah, hallelujah. churches, that they're, they are growing as far as numbers are concerned. And they're building beautiful buildings and, and, 
And they're actually in competition with the charismatic world and the denominal world. And, and they're, they're kind of bothered when they see these huge, gigantic buildings that these people are erecting. And they, they say, you know, we ought to be able to do this. I, I want to tell you, I'm not competing with those folks because we're not doing the same thing. Hallelujah. We're, we're not dealing in the same elements. Hallelujah. It's not church membership. It's not trying to get somebody to join the group and to join the club. Hallelujah. We believe there's got to be a life-changing experience that comes in an individual's life. And we surely believe there's got to be a brokenness, a brokenness of nature and will and, and desire and agenda and goals and ambitions. And so they think they can have great revival with silent prayer rooms. They can have great revival without brokenness where people wear what they want to wear and go where they want to go and do what they want to do and say what they want to say. And hallelujah. And church is some kind of just sideline activity. Hallelujah. They come when they want to. They don't answer to anybody. They don't really have a pastor and a shepherd in their life. Anybody here tonight? I'm sure there's farmers around here that know anything about farming. You, you know that you can have all the ingredients to have a harvest. But if you don't have water, if the rain doesn't come, you're not going to have a harvest. Hallelujah. You can have the seed and it can be a certified seed and you can have the proper ground and it can be rich in nutrients and the sun can give its light. But somewhere along the way, it doesn't matter how good the seed is, if there is not moisture to touch that seed, hallelujah, the little life that's inside that seed will never germinate and grow and there'll never be a harvest. I know this. It's amazing what happens to tomatoes if you get a good rain, and watermelons, if you get a good rain. Hallelujah. There's got to be the presence of water. And this is what the psalmist David was talking about when he said, He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I don't know about you, but I, I'm disturbed to think of standing at the judgment bar of God. Hallelujah. And, 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 and God at the judgment seat of Christ, judging what I've done with what God has given me. Hallelujah. Now, I'm not in some mission thinking that I'm going to win the world, but I believe I've got a responsibility in the harvest field that I work in. And, and when I, I look at what the Bible says about the harvest and the abundant harvest, and, and the harvest is white and ready, and, and I look at, at what we're having in our church, and I look at the souls that, that come and go. Hallelujah. In our area, there, there seems to be a hunger. There, there seems to be people coming through. Hallelujah. In fact, on a weekly basis, it, it seems that every Sunday morning there's brand new people that come and, and, and people that come to the altar. But I want to tell you what's disturbing me. Hallelujah. There's a lot of leaves on the plant, and, and a lot of times it looks so good. But I wonder where the fruit's at. It's like, you know, you see them and then they're gone, and you don't see them again. And hallelujah. It seems like there's a, there's a harvest or a, that's ready, and there's people that are stirred and they're disturbed about our world and our society and what's happening. 
and you see them come and you see them leave and there's not anything that's really getting in the barn. There's not, there's not as, enough harvest and, and I get to say, well, what, what's the problem? Hallelujah. Is there anything wrong with the seed? I don't think there's anything wrong with the seed. I've never lived to see the day that I question in my mind uh, this Acts 238 message. Hallelujah. I believe we've got a message that's straight out of the word of the Lord. You must be born again of water and of the Spirit or you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. I believe in Jesus' name, baptism. Hallelujah. It's in the name of Jesus, son. I believe just what the commission says. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not believes what? Believes the gospel. Hallelujah. What is the gospel? It's the gospel that Jesus Christ told them when he ascended up into heaven. And he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to preach Jesus' name, remission of sins, repentance, and remission of sins in my name. And you shall receive the promise of the Father. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ did not cut any slack when he said, go preach this gospel, this Acts 238 gospel, when he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be damned. And if you're here tonight and you haven't obeyed it, I want you to answer the question. What's going to happen to you if you die tonight and you haven't obeyed the gospel? Nothing wrong with the seed. Nothing wrong with the seed. Hallelujah. But I want to tell you there's one ingredient that I have a question about. And that is the water. That is the water. Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night. I haven't wept the way I need to weep. There's very few people in our churches that are willing to really weep in behalf of a lost and a hell-bound generation. It's not that there's not a need. With over a million people coming into the world every week that will live and die and never hear the message that Jesus saves unless something happens. And we have the message, and we sit here tonight. The best kept secret. And a world around us, and neighbors, and friends, and families, and backsliders, and children. I fight a spirit of being comfortable, enjoying the good life, being distracted by so many flashing lights and things around me to work. I have the problem being focused. I want to ask every preacher here tonight. Some of you is old enough to remember when you got in a revival. It was night after night after night, and the church was focused. Does anybody remember that? Focused. And it's like it built, and it built, and it built, and it built. Hallelujah. 
There was a time when we had church seven nights a week. Now, am, am, I, am, I, am I coming up with some kind of answer? I don't have an answer to some things. I want to tell you, the devil has accelerated our life to where we're fighting and we're swimming to keep our head above the water. I, I don't know what the answer is. Hallelujah. I don't know if it's possible, Hardy, to have a revival seven nights a week anymore. But I do know there was a focus and there was an intensity and, 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 and it was something. Anybody remember when revival used to live with you? I remember as an evangelist years ago. It would just live with you. You'd go to bed and you'd wake up in the middle of the night. It was revival on your mind. And you'd get up early in the morning. It was revival on your mind. And, and we were focused. And, and we was in the process of giving birth to something. And hallelujah, there was prayer going on. Prayer chains going on. And there was an intensity. And it seems like we fight. We fight remaining focused. Hallelujah, you can have an unbelievable service on Sunday. It seems like we're having better church than we've ever had. But it seems like it's going not near as far as it used to go. In a world lost, whole Pentecostal churches are becoming lost we sit here tonight with the truth and we fight to stay awake and we fight to have a burden we fight to have vision we fight to, to remain stirred hallelujah while the world is, is being lost the Bible says where there is no vision the people perish without a vision hallelujah there's going to be a perishing backsliders are going to perish Hallelujah. Children that are lost in our families, if, if something doesn't happen to us, that they can realize something's different about mama, something's different about daddy. Something must be going on in the church that hasn't gone on in a long time. If we keep on doing what we're doing, they're going to keep on doing what they're doing, and, and our loved ones are going to be lost and go to hell. It's going to be a terrible thing for somebody to wait too late to shed the tears and to intercede and until you're standing in a funeral parlor somewhere and you think, my God, I should have pressed the issue more. I should have shed more tears. I should have had a greater burden than what I had. Hallelujah. Neighbors and friends, people desperately in the dark, they don't know which direction to run. They they don't know what we know. They don't understand what's going on in our world. They're troubled, they're disturbed, but they don't know what's happening. They, they don't understand what our president is doing and what the Congress is doing and what's happening with our laws and what's happening with the economy and, and where are we going to turn. I, I got to thinking the other day about our, our, our graduates that are, that are coming out of high school and, and, and starting into college or whatever. And, and, and uh, can you imagine where they are right now? Well, where am I gonna, what am I going to do? What direction do I need to go in? Uh, what kind of field is still going to be uh, an opportunity by the time I get out of college? We are living in fearless times, fearful times, and, and dark times. And we have the truth. The only answer I had when I was preaching about this in our church, I said, you're going to have to get on your knees and you're going to have to pray until you can get in the spirit and get above everything that's happening around you before you can know what you need to do and what direction your life needs to go in. You're going to have to plug into God. 
I'll tell you what you'll do. You'll find yourself running down a dead-end street, pouring your life into learning something or doing something that's not going to have any future to it. I want to tell you what the answer is. God is the answer. Plugging in, praying through, becoming broken, getting a refilling of the Holy Ghost all over again. I want to tell you that's another problem. Pentecost is looking for something new. Pentecost is looking for something entertaining. They're looking for something they ain't never seen before. I want to tell you they're looking for a new experience. There's nothing wrong with the old experience. We just need to get plugged in to that old Holy Ghost that God gave us when we was born again. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. Without a vision, the people perish. The world's going to perish. Our neighbors are going to perish. Our children are going to perish. But I want to tell you what else this is saying. I believe it's saying we're going to perish. As a church, we're going to perish in this end time if we don't have a vision. I wonder, the pitiful preacher that's trying to preach to you tonight, I wonder... I wonder how I could look, would look if I could look in heaven's mirror and see myself. But I see a man that's perishing, perishing, dehydrated spiritually speaking, skin stretched over bones. Pentecostal churches have tried every program there is to try. We have, we have tried everything that the charismatic world puts out and the denominal world puts out. And I'm going to tell you, I believe in, in, I believe in, in, in trying to improve on methods if, if they're okay. I believe in that. But I want to tell you, that's, that's not the answer. That's not the base answer. Oh, we need God to start moving for us. Hallelujah. In such a supernatural way. Oh, God, if the fire would fall, it's kind of like the old church that caught on fire and the community and everybody all over the community came. They was trying to put the fire out. And some church member looked over at the old guy and said, Well, Joe, I ain't never seen you here at this church. He said, The church ain't never been on fire. Several years ago, a Pentecostal preacher somewhere lost his way, backslid, got out of the ministry. Thank God his wife continued to live for God and go to church, bringing the kids to church. While pastor, his teenage boy really got a good touch of God and started dedicating and felt the call to preach and started evangelizing. He's out evangelizing. His mother would write him letters. It's in those days, not the communication like we have. He sat down and wrote a letter. He sat down and wrote a letter. He said, son, pray for your daddy. Seems like your daddy's getting harder and harder every day. One letter she said, your daddy started smoking. It's hard for me to believe. He's getting bitter. 
further away from God and won't come to church. They'd start a revival and she'd sit down and write a letter and say, Son, pray for your daddy. We're starting a revival. Pray that in this revival your daddy would play back through the Holy Ghost. But revivals came and went and the old backslid preacher did not pray through them. Finally, the home pastor called him and invited him to come hold a revival in the, in the home church. And, and uh, it was all in hopes that his daddy would come and hear him preach and would pray through him. He got home and his daddy promised, I'll come out to the revival. I want to hear you preach. Finally, after a few services, he showed up. And everybody was excited about it. They had song service and testimony service. He took up the offering, turned it over to the evangelist. The young man got in the pulpit and read the text. He prayed over his message. And when he lifted his face and was starting to preach, to his disappointment, he saw his dad get up and walk out the door. The revival went on through that week and next week and several several nights. His dad never came back to the revival that was designed to save him. He left town and started another revival. Months passed by. The church got into revival again and again. His mother sat down and began to write a letter and said, Son, we're in revival. Pray for your daddy. Revivals came. Revivals went. And the man did not pray through. There came a time when an evangelist came to that church and started preaching. He didn't start preaching to the sinners. He started preaching to the saints. He made statements like this. You want sinners to pray through, but you don't want to pray through. We can't expect them to pray through if we don't want to pray through. We want sinners to stumble down these aisles with tears-filled eyes and repent of their sins, but we don't want to repent of our sins. I want to tell you, we want sinners to repent, a spirit of repentance that's to get a hold of the church. We need to repent. Hallelujah. We need the kind of revival that won't allow us to sit on these pews and have bitterness for months on end against other individuals in the church. Hallelujah. To sit here and gossip and complain. If we want the lost to clean up, we need to clean up. Hallelujah. He made statements like this. It'd be surprising what kind of church we'd have if everybody here that claimed the Holy Ghost would get the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you what happens when preaching like that goes forth night after night after night. It stirs the devil up. And it makes carnal saints sometimes mad instead of glad. Hallelujah. Some people leave the church before anything can be added to the church. But that was old-fashioned revival. He began to preach. He began to tell them, you're not going to go to heaven because you teach a Sunday school class. You can teach a Sunday school class and go to hell. You can sing in the choir and go to hell. You're not going to go to heaven because you pay your tithe and give an offering. That's not what's going to get you out of here when the world's on fire. The only thing that's going to cause you to be in the rapture is the Holy Ghost. We're not saved by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. This is not some kind of church you just join and you sit here and everybody automatically goes to heaven if you're still in the group. There were five foolish virgins 
church the other night, it is amazing how far people are willing to go in doing things and serving around the church. And yet they keep their self-will intact. And there's certain areas that they're not going to be broken. That is the truth. I think I'm pastoring somebody in the right circumstance. I found out I've never really been their pastor. I'm sorry if this is not. But I won't tell you. Isaiah 66 and 9. In verse 6, I think it's 6 and 6. 6 and 6 and 6, it says, Brother Regan, I'm paraphrasing. Something strange that he says that there's people that are claiming they're having children without travail. Somebody was saying that Zion's having children before they travail. That's what some Pentecostal churches are saying. They're claiming they're having revival and people are getting saved and there's, there's no brokenness there. There's no repentance there. And first of all, there's no repentance in the church. And then there's no repentance when people come up, you know, and, and they got this deal, you know, and then all of a sudden they start quietly speaking in tongues. And there's nothing, no change. But he said as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. And then he goes on to tell us, that, hey, don't tell me that Zion can travail and bring forth nothing. Hallelujah. I, I want to tell you, he that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. It is impossible. For Zion to travail and nothing be born. It is impossible for us to fail to have revival and things happen and things be birthed. Hallelujah. If we get into a spirit of travail, something's going to happen. Has anybody experienced that? Have you come to know that? I believe there's a bunch of people here that knows what I'm talking about. I have never seen a time in my life where God could finally get me in a place to really travail over a situation that something did not happen. I want to tell you, something's going to move. Something's going to break. Something's going to change. Some door is going to swing open. If we can get to the place we need to be as soon as Zion travailed. I'm preaching about immediate results. I'm preaching about immediate revival. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But you know what? There's a lot of churches, they don't know anything about travail. Hallelujah. If some dear mother in Zion would fall on the floor and begin to weep and travail and moan, she'd be ushered out of some one God, Jesus name, Pentecostal churches, because they don't know anything but the celebration.
and thank God for the celebration and shouting and running the aisles, and we need to keep doing that. But I want to tell you that some churches, all they know is the fast music, the fast beat, running the aisles, and that's the ultimate. And it's not born in the prayer room. I want to tell you, there's, there's people here tonight, you don't know how to appreciate what you've got here. I guarantee you there's prayer going on in this church. I can feel the effects of prayer. I'm going to tell you, it'd be freaky to me. It would be spooky to me to walk into a church where everybody's just laughing and talking and nobody's praying, and as soon as the first notes, they just start shouting and running and hollering and you're celebrating and, and whatever's going on has not been born in prayer. I evangelized 21 years, especially in the years that I was single for 10 years, staying in evangelist quarters. Hallelujah. Sometimes in, in the early years of my ministry, I found myself in places that, that uh, there wasn't anybody coming by the church. Some of these little dusty churches where nothing's going on and nobody ever darkens the door until it's church time. I, I know of staying in evangelist quarters and trying to bring revival and, 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 and trying to see something break and just wanting somebody to come by and pray, just hoping somebody would wake me up in the night and hear somebody moan and travail and, oh, God, save my children, God, save my boy. Hallelujah, to see them come in two or three minutes before church starts and as soon as the dismissal is given, within five minutes they're out the door and gone. That's the reason why their baptistries are dried and rusty. That's the reason why there's no babies in the spiritual nursery. And nobody's getting the Holy Ghost and carnality and worldliness reigns in the pew. People doing everything but doing what God wants them to do. But I want to tell you there's something that will work. We are living in a fearful time. We're living... I'm going to tell you, there's powers of darkness that's working against us. I believe this. We don't even know anything about. There's some things happening in our world. But I want to tell you, the Holy Ghost knows. And how many believes the Holy Ghost can run interference for us? So when the devil and the world's trying to shut us down, there's an anointing on us that makes us like a greased eel that the devil can't ever get his hand on us. The devil cannot get a grip on us because we're operating in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Romans 8 and chapter 26. Chapter 8 and verse 26. Hallelujah. We know not what we should pray for, but the Holy Ghost maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. We don't know what's in the darkness. I have learned this. When God can get through my stick, thick skull and I'm praying and all of a sudden somebody comes to my attention, I take notice of it. It's not an accident. I have missed the boat before. Hallelujah. And a few days later, all of a sudden a tragedy happens and I think, my God, you're trying to warn me about that. Oh, but praying in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Travailing in the Holy Ghost. Getting in the Spirit. Hallelujah. Oh, I still believe we can have great mighty revival that will shake a city to its foundations. 
where backsliders are not able to sleep at night, where old time conviction causes people to feel like there's rocks in their bed and they're miserable. But I want to tell you, I've got to get miserable before they get miserable. I've got to get rocks in my bed before they, they can't sleep. Hallelujah, hallelujah. There's lost children. There's lost teenagers. There's, there, there's lost people. Children that you have running the streets tonight. Something's going to happen to them. Tragedy is going to fall on them and going to catch you broadside. If you don't start praying in the Holy Ghost, God will give you a burden. Jerusalem is supposed to be a city without walls. And God says, for I will be a wall of fire around her. Hallelujah. It's not what we can uh, come up with and engineer and the defenses that we can run. But it's getting in the Holy Ghost and praying in the Spirit. This preacher wouldn't start preaching this revival. He's preaching the church. Well, that woman sat down and started writing a letter. She had written a bunch of them. She didn't start this letter. Son, we're in a revival. Pray for your daddy. She sat down and started writing it like this. Son, we're in a revival. Pray for your mother. She started writing about what that preacher had been preaching. And she said, I have been so comforted. And I have been so cold. And I don't want to be lost after being in the church all these years. Your daddy backslid and I kept coming to church. But it's going to take more than coming to church. Pray for your mama. Pray for your mama. Think about our family. We've been in Pentecost all of our life. Children raised in Pentecost. But we're not going to be saved unless the Holy Ghost is actively in our life. She was sitting there On a Monday, I think it was. She was sitting there in the middle of the day with her husband sitting across the living room. All of a sudden, she just busted out, tears streaming down her cheeks. She apologized to him, said, I'm sorry. Couldn't excuse me. She slipped off into her bedroom and fell in the floor and started crying and started praying. That old backslid preacher was sitting there in that living room and he could hear her. She was saying, oh, God. Don't let me be lost. God, renew me in the Holy Ghost. Let me be real. Let me get that old experience fresh in my life. And she'd weep and she'd cry. She'd get her prayer through and she'd get up. Her eyes would be swollen. Tuesday came around. I was having revival every night. That preacher was pounding like a hammer. 
all of a sudden she broke down again, started crying. She said, I'm sorry. She went to the bedroom. She started praying, oh, God, God, I don't want to be lost. I want everything out of my life. I don't want to have bitterness in my life. I don't want to have things in my heart against people in the church. I don't know what all she prayed, but she was praying for God to save her all over again. And Wednesday came, and the same thing happened. And Thursday came, and the same thing happened. And Friday came, and the same thing happened. And Saturday came, and the same thing happened. She was getting ready for church on Saturday night, and all of a sudden her husband stepped out of the bathroom and had a white shirt on and was all dressed up. And she looked at him, and she said, Where in the world are you going? He said, I'm going to church with you tonight. He went to church with her for the first time, and several years sitting through the whole service they went home that night and the next morning got up and went to church she was getting ready again he stepped out of the bathroom all shaved where are you going big old tears filled his eyes he said I'm going to church he said I'm going a sinner but I'm going to come home a saint I'm going lost but I'm going to come home saved He went to church that Sunday morning. The evangelist did not preach evangelistic. He was still preaching to the church. Hallelujah. I don't know what all he said. One thing I think he said was, maybe we need to just take these altars out of this building. There ain't no need in having these altars here. Nobody's going to use them. But I want to tell you that morning, he didn't give an altar call. But he didn't have to give an altar call. Backslid preacher jumped up and run down the aisle, tears streaming down his cheeks. He fell in the altar. And that morning he prayed back through to the gift of the Holy Ghost. Many years later, I preached a revival in that church, and he was sitting on the front pew, and he died full of the Holy Ghost. What was it? Was it because they decided to block off some time for revival services? No, they had done that before. Was it necessarily because an evangelist had come? No, it wasn't because an evangelist had come. They, they had had other evangelists that had come. But I want to tell you what happened. There was a woman that became broken. And she began to water the seed with her tears. And conviction started moving in the heart of that old backslid preacher while that mother was praying back through day after day for the fresh touch of God. Hallelujah. Oh God, as soon as Zion travails, as soon as Zion travails, hallelujah, where are the Rachels that say, give me children lest I die? I, I don't want to live unless a child can be born. Where are the Hannahs that say, it don't matter what you say. You say, I'm better than ten sons. I'll be, you know, I love you. I, and, and, but Hannah says, no, there's nothing that will take the place of a son. And she goes to the house of God and she starts praying. And, and she becomes so broken, she makes promises to God. 
great promises of sacrifice to God. She gets so deep in prayer that her lips are moving, but there's no sound that's coming out. And, and Eli is so out of step with revival, he don't even know what travail is. And he thinks she's drunk. He's ready to throw her out. She's disturbing his little program and his little service. That's what would happen in some Pentecostal churches if a spirit of travail would come on. I want to tell you, there's a philosophy among some Pentecostal preachers. Don't ever allow the service to end on a negative note. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah, I've been in their churches where you preach conviction down on them and somebody tries to shout it off of them. Sometimes we need to go home with something gnawing on us. your soul was won. There's somebody here tonight, it's been months since you have wept and been broken. What's happening inside? Every day of our life we're being torn and shaped. Circumstances and decisions and choices and things that happen to us are forming what we are what we're going to be when we stand in eternity and what we are forever. What happens when you consider the propensity of our human nature to become carnal and bitter and doubtful and cynical? What happens when that thing that's left weeks turn into months and there's not a washing there's not a breaking how long has it been since you fell down between the pews after a preacher got through and closed his Bible and said that's all the word of the Lord for me how long has it been since you fell in your pew until that fabric was wet and you cried until you couldn't cry anymore cried until there was that fresh clean feeling inside of you that you knew there was nothing between you and God Ezekiel chapter 9 tells a horrifying story I read it again today for the word of the Lord came and spoke to a man with a writer's ink on him his actual name I want you to go through Jerusalem and I want you to mark the foreheads of those that sigh and cry for the abomination of the sin that is in Jerusalem. I want you to mark them. And there were six angels that destroyed weapons and said, I want you to follow the man with the rider's ink horn. And I want you to utterly destroy every one that is not marked. And I want you to begin at my sanctuary and I want you to begin with the ancient men. The people that's been around for a while. 
want you to mark those that are mine in Jesus. Those that are marked in Jesus. It was a time when idol worshipers used to mark themselves with tattoos. And there's a lot of these tattooing stuff that's going on today that has its roots in idol worship and demon worship. The devil likes to mark his own. But I want to tell you, God likes to mark his own. And we're living in the end time where judgment is about to come. And the sickle is going to be put in for this war time. And I'm going to tell you, God's people are still marked. And it's a mark of, it's a mark. See, Jesus was marked. He said, I've engraved thee on the palms of my hands. The, the Amplified says, I've engraved your picture in the palm of my hands. They marked it when they nailed him to the cross. He was marked when he stood before doubting Thomas and said, looky here. Behold my hands, behold my feet. If you have a question, here I am. Reach right here into my side. Come mark me. And I want to tell you, God's people are still marked. I was reading that today. I saw how that paralleled with my life. I want you to mark the foreheads of those that signed Christ. I want you to start with the angels. And right there in that chapter, chapter 9, it says, And the glory of God rose up and lifted from above the cherubims and moved to the threshold of the door and stopped. You see, because of the sin, because of what would happen, God was leaving Israel. Because there was no one to weep. And he stopped at the threshold in, in Ezekiel 9. And like a little boy that gets upset with mom and daddy and packs his bag and says, I'm moving out, I'm leaving. I, I'm going. He goes to the door and it's dark outside. and He really don't want to leave. He's waiting for somebody to say, oh, son, don't leave, don't leave. We, we can't live without our boy. But it's not a little boy here, it's God. And God stands at the threshold of the door. He's waiting for somebody to sigh. He's waiting for somebody to cry. Wait, wait, don't leave us, God. What are we going to do when the rains don't come and the fields are parched and famine grips the land? What are we going to do when our little children are dying of starvation? What are we going to do if you leave and the armies of our enemies surround us and we don't have Jehovah God to, to call on? Oh, please, God, don't leave. But God stopped there and he lingered, waiting for somebody to travail and cry and weep. It's almost embarrassing. The next chapter, chapter 10, he lifts up from the threshold and he goes to the eastern gate. 
at the outer court and he stops again. He's waiting. Does Pentecost still know how to weep? Is there anybody that really cares whether the glory leaves the house or not? Is there anybody that cares whether the whether the shields are substituted for brass? And the worship becomes tinny and cheap. Does anybody need God? Does anybody in this church need God? Or can you live without him? You got a good job. Things are going good. And then the next chapter, chapter 11, the Bible says the glory of God finally lifted up again. And the Bible says it went to the mountain. And God left. about it, Daddy? You having trouble with your family, raising your kids? Kids, you wondering what's going to happen to that teenage boy? You think you can do it without God? Your marriage, there's problems in your home. You folks think you can work it out, but y'all neither one praying through? We're just going to keep up the bitterness and the accusations against each other. We've got some things that we're not gonna, we're not willing to bury the hatchet. It doesn't matter if the kids know that we're fussing and fuming and we're a poor example of what the church is. You know, a man's got rights, and I'm just not gonna, I know I'm right. You can be right and be wrong in the way you're right, and that's what happens when people's will's not broken. When it's been too long since God's had you in his hand like putty and and has worked you. And Bye-bye. I'm leaving. I'm going. Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stoneth the prophets and killeth those that are sent unto you. How oft would I have gathered you together as a hen doth her brood, and you would not. Behold, ye shall be left desolate. Armies are going to compass you round about. But I'm going to just say this real quick. When you read toward the end of the book, you find out that God comes back. He comes back through that same gate he left. A new temple is built. I'm going to tell you the thing that caused God's Shekinah to dwell in that tent in the very beginning is the same thing that's going to cause it to continue or to come back if we've lost it. Hallelujah. God's looking for a weeper tonight. God's looking for a mourner tonight. There's a parched field that's looking for a little rain. There's a seed that's about to die if, if moisture does not touch it and it germinate. There's a Lazarus in the tomb that's never going to come out. 
unless a son of God like Jesus weeps before the tomb. There is an answer. There is an answer. There's an answer to the carnality that's trying to grip us. There's an answer to the lack of revival. There's an answer to the carnality in Pentecost. That's it. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Pray, 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 pray.